So, Karen, you know, I never thought I would say these words, but I am excited about my gut. Me too. It's fascinating to think that if you've got all the right bacteria in there, then it can have a positive effect on your hormones. And at our age, it's all about the hormones. I mean, it affects your sleep. It affects your bowel movements. Uh, vaginal health, hot flashes and bloating. I hate bloating. Oh, no, me too, me too. Well, we're two weeks into taking our Better Gut supplements and I am excited to see if it makes a difference. So far, so good for me. Are you remembering to take them? Yes, once a day with my meal. Good stuff, good stuff. Try the Better Gut today to support you through a better menopause. Visit www.thebettermenopause.com to find out more about the science and order your supplements today. With delivery straight to your door and the supplements coming in convenient, portable packaging, they will easily blend into and support any busy lifestyle. You can also sign up to their newsletter and join their thriving community. Right now, you can receive 15% off your first order with my special code. That's K15, K-A-Y-E 15, all one word. That's www.thebettermenopause.com and the code is K15. This week on How To Be 60, Scott Mitchell, widower of the legendary Barbara Windsor. He has so many wonderful memories of Barbara, but some really tough ones too. When he said it's Alzheimer's in the room, she just reached her hand over to me and she she had tears in her eyes and she said, I'm so sorry, darling. And I just looked, I said, don't ever be sorry. And I'm wondering how to be 60, it's scaring the shit out of me. Welcome, everyone, to a new year of How to Be 60 with me, Kay Adams, now officially 61, mm-hmm. and she, Karen McKenzie, a considerable number of years older, somewhere in the wilderness of her seventh decade. Actually, you're in your seventh decade as well. Oh, Jesus, so I am. <laughs> yeah, let's not forget it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So this is our first proper, proper yes. podcast of uh-huh. 2024, because last week, obviously, we had Lorraine Kelly, but we, we did record that back in 2023 when I was still a fresh 60-year-old. Mm. Um, do you think I've aged or am I looking as fabulous as ever? I wouldn't even ask that as a joke. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I'm looking pretty fresh face. Well, that's great. Happy New Year to you, Kate, by the way. <laughs> God, you're a bitch. No, I don't know. No. Do, do you feel good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. That's all that matters then, isn't it? I don't trust you. No, I don't trust you one bit either. <laughs> so I've learned from the best, as they say. I tell you what, our guest is looking rather fabulous. Uh, Scott Mitchell. I know. Uh, widow of Barbara Windsor. They're together for more than 20 years before uh, Barbara passed away in 2020. He's a 1963 baby, a bit younger than me. Um, can I suggest uh-huh. that you get the name of his hairdresser? Because, I mean, there's Scott. He's not speaking to us yet, but we're just yeah. looking at him. He looks fantastic. Very similar style of hair to yours, actually. But he's not... Not let, got the fringe. But he's not let his go grey. And I think you'll agree his is much more youthful than yours, don't you think? Well, yes. <laughs> Do you think he dies it? No. <laughs> no, he's certainly got a good head of hair, hasn't he? He looks shocked and scandalised. He's got to leave. Don't be rude. Oh, no, I'm just trying to peer at the screen. No, he looks bloody good, I have it's to say. Bloody good. Bloody, bloody good. good. Yes. No, he does. Uh, by the way, I Hi. bumped into um, Lorraine in the corridor at ITV. Lorraine. And yes. she confirmed that she wouldn't change the sheets for a new guest. 
Because remember, we were talking about that. I don't believe you. Frank. No, I promise you, Lorraine right. Kelly, the real Lorraine Kelly, I said, Lorraine, just clear something up because we didn't get a chance to talk about it. If you had a guest come in the next night and you had a bed that already had fresh sheets on it and somebody had slept in it just once, would it be okay? She says, fine. Absolutely. No problem. Team K all the way. That's, Unless it was her mum, she said. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Because her mum would be critical. Her mum would know. Yeah, I don't know. Just to clarify, you'd put a guest into sheets that weren't quite clean. Yes. For one night. Yes. And if somebody else came the following night? I'd be torn, I have to say. I would say three different people in the same sheets on three consecutive nights. I'd be slightly torn. But how was the festive period for you? Eh. <sighs> That it, good, eh? That it good. Was good. No, 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 it was good. It was, um, God, you've got to cast your mind back, haven't you? Uh, we went up north to Aviemore in, oh, God, I, that was a bit of a disaster, in the camper van, not expecting to stay in the camper van, but all roads north, when we got sort of halfway there, we were all closed. There was one, yeah, the A9 was shut in three different places, one with a broken down lorry, one with floods, and Jesus one with Christ, snow. it sounds like the apocalypse. No, and Stephen was kind of, oh, yeah, I'm quite up for staying in the camper. And I was like, oh, let's just go back to Glasgow, honest to God. And he was like, no, let's stay. So when I came round to it, I thought... to get you on his own in the back of the camper. With the dog. The old shagging wagon. <laughs> <laughs> we hadn't got a duvet with us because we didn't expect So I thought, oh, my God. I'll keep you warm, darling. It's all very exciting. EastEnders cast me. <laughs> oh, God. So actually, we came across this campsite in Blair Gowry and they were <gasps> fantastic so they supplied us with a duvet clean sheets can I just say clean sheets nobody had stayed in the night before bottom sheet pillows pillowcases that is no my card. idea of oh very nice. my god it was so nice them so I had to kind of like well done Blair through Gowry. the kind of like bottle of wine for them I gave them some tablet cake off to them so they were really grateful so how was your christmas period Marvelous. can i just check uh -huh. did you use my present that i gave you no was, i was let's go over it again the erotic <laughs> rocket yes the clitoral stimulator did you know it? it is still in really? its plastic covering in the drawer um and so you didn't even take it on holiday no i didn't take it on holiday can you imagine getting stopped in security with that? i told you to put it in your main case no, not in the no chance. not the hand luggage no i think i'm going to re-gift it <laughs> <laughs> who the hell are you going to give it to no i had a love oh, might be you a lovely oh, right. time no i was already got one i don't actually have not one. in blair gallery in marbella Blue skies, warm every day, no alarm clock, slept for Scotland. I went to a spin class or Pilates every day. You'll be proud of me. Mm -hmm. Ate good food. It was wonderful. It was sort of 21 degrees. Seriously? Oh, went, in January? Yes. That's how she Ian wasn't well. I'm still waiting for him, but oh, was he not? No, he wasn't well. We had to get a doctor on Christmas Day. Actually. Oh, my he'd God. Seriously? Be, yeah. We'd always, on Christmas Day? Yeah. Jesus. Which is not like him because he is not a man flu man. He is very stoic and he's very good. So when he said he wanted a doctor, I, oh really, my God. I did worry. He was okay, but yeah, he wasn't very well, actually, I have to say, which was not good. But I really discovered something about myself, and I'm being a bit serious now. I'm a terrible, terrible nurse. That doesn't surprise me. And I go through the motions because I know the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, he really was unwell, and we got a doctor. He had this terrible, terrible cough. He had no appetite. He was very lethargic. So unlike Jesus him. Key. So I was worried about him, but... On the surface. No, no, I was worried about him. But a bit of me thought, God, I've paid for this bloody expensive Christmas dinner and he's not eaten a thing, so that irritated me. We ate a restaurant. Uh, yeah. But although I was doing the right things, I hope, 
inside I was pissed off because <laughs> I wanted him to be well. I wanted us to have... Oh, my God. Have... Oh, what a shame he was spoiling your time. I'm trying to be honest. Yeah, no, you're right. And I really had to examine myself. I thought, what is wrong with me? Am I just a selfish cow? Mm -hmm. Yes, I know that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. Do I not love him enough? Mm -hmm. I thought about that. Yeah. And then I thought, maybe I'm just scared because I really don't want him to be unwell. And then there was that thing. You, I wanted it to be the perfect Christmas, you know, with him, me, the girls, the beautiful hotel, the lovely lunch, and him being ill interrupted that and I know that is hellish mm -hmm. I would say you're all three but it is it, it, <laughs> are you a good nurse with the children I absolutely oh, am with my kids it's 100 yes yeah but what's the it's difference different. well Stephen's not a blood relative I think I just think I forgot it you're an adult deal with it mm. that's not to me it's like to him. I mean, I'm embarrassing this in front of Scott, who's listening in, because, of course, he nursed Barbara with Alzheimer's for, for six or seven years. So, I mean... It's just different with your children. Or maybe, you know, as you say, do you love them enough? I don't know. I I don't... I'm, I think I'm... Well, I don't know. I'm going to try and let myself off the hook. It is scary to think of your partner not being well, because so much of your life relies on that. I mean, from when your children are born... Your job is to look after yes, them. Yes, yeah. And you're going to look after them because... That, you'll do anything for you'll them. You'll do anything. And it's not that I wouldn't do anything for you. I would. But it's a different feeling inside. And I, I don't know. Could you be a carer that's, for Ian? Yeah. You know, my mum, before she had a stroke, she cared for my dad. And she yeah, that's your mum. I'm asking you. No, but I'm very like my mum. And she did do everything for him. But you'd have to give up. Things. She's not one of those people who sit. She was never one of those people who'd sit and pat your hand, mm. but she'd move mountains for you. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think I think that's me. I'm not a pat your hand person. I'm not a good nurse. I'm asking if you could be a full time carer for Ian. I, I would do that. But what I'm you'd be resentful. Well, that's what I'm honest enough to say. I'm not saying that I would be entirely saintly about it. I think I would find it difficult. Just I'm not say, sure I could do it at all. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Pack them off to the home. Really? I actually don't know. And do you know why? You've got 25, 30 years with the same person. Yeah. I haven't got that history. At what point do you think, I didn't buy into this? That's a horrible thing to admit. Well, it's tough. It's I tough. was with Stephen 18 months, he had a heart attack. And I remember thinking, oh my God. That's just like, what's life going to be like now? So as it's turned out, okay, he got back on the bike. But there was a point that I thought, fuck. But I think maybe we do have to have these conversations, you know, because we talk about carers. And I'm going to be so interested to hear what Scott says about it. And I don't think we should be in competition with each other, that you're a better carer than this one. And, oh, this one was really good. And this one wasn't. I'm thinking of Kate Garraway right now. Of oh, course, yes. Husband, yes. Derek died. Yeah. And yeah. I often looked at that situation from the outside and thought, how are you doing it? Mm -hmm. And my admiration for her is absolutely boundless. But we don't know what goes inside. And if she says in future, at times she found it fucking difficult and at times she felt like walking away, bit. who would judge her? Absolutely not. And maybe we need to be a bit more honest about how difficult that is. God, we've got very dark, haven't we, for the yeah. start of the year. Have you got any good news for us? Oh, I finished my jumper. I've been in for treats. Well, when I did some I, good news. I see I finished it. I kind of finished it about two weeks ago at my knitting bee that I do on a Monday night. And then one of the women said, 
that's not going to go over your head. And it didn't. <laughs> it didn't go over my fucking head. It was too... You so two years knitting a jumper that didn't go over your head. And I had moth holes in it that I had to repair. Anyway, I took it to my friend who pulled it apart. She took it back like 10 rows or whatever, left it with her, picked it up the other day. She's kind of gone the other way. And it now looks like <laughs> a sort of off-the-shoulder evening jumper and the neck's far too big. So after I leave here today, back down to hers with this jumper that I'm wearing just now, which has a sort of neck that fits. We're going to work together at it. Do you know what, Kay? I'll wear it next week. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Not really. So there you go, life and retirement. And we finally brought you some good news. Not really. Um, it does take us nicely into the email of the week. <laughs> You know I love these. Jillian, she says, hi, Kay, Hi, Jillian. Happy New Year. Well, she says, happy New Year, happy New Year. Um, Oh, actually, Jillian is a two-time email of the week. She says, I was the email of the week on the episode with Beverly Card. She says, I turned 50 in December, and I just wanted to share with you a photo of my surprise gathering with my amazing husband and children. Uh, They organised it. The theme was leopard print, which I'm still... I remember, remember. Jillian. She says, "Um, so we've got this fantastic picture, and they've clearly done an Only Fools and Horses theme part. Which is absolutely fantastic. Jillian is looking great with a bit of leopard skin in there. She says, I'm still wondering if I'm going through my midlife crisis, but I've decided to embrace it. She said it was heartbreaking not to have my parents at my party and Christmas this year uh, was tough with them not understanding Christmas due Mm. to their Alzheimer's. But I am trying to process the changes and to continue my care for them. God, you know, that's really made me think my dad, like, couple of years before my dad died at Christmas and he probably had started the dementia journey mm-hmm. and we hadn't really realised. And we were playing that game, you know, that you put someone's name oh, on yes. the forehead when and you, you have to guess mm-hmm. whoever. Yeah. And I always remember sitting there, my dad was Boris Becker and he was just totally confused. Oh. I just remember sitting there and, that's heartbreaking. you know, I had a stone in the pit of my stomach because oh. none of us had acknowledged what was happening at that stage. But, I saw his confusion and he kept asking the same question. So who am I? Who's He didn't get the game. I think that was the Christmas that I thought, oh God, here we go. Really? Yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah. He thought this is the... Yeah. So, Gillian, I know what you, where you are with that. But anyway, Gillian says, I hope my photos make you smile. They do. And the special guests who were hired for entertainment were just fabulous. They certainly were. They look absolutely... The one oh, was in the... David Jason. And... Oh my God, wasn't he great? I know. He so like him. I know. She says, I look forward to your podcast every week and take away something from each episode. Thank you both. Very best wishes, Gillian. Ah, that's lovely, Gillian. Thank, Thank you, you, Gillian. Thanks so much. Uh, we're going to speak to Scott after this. Do you know what, Karen? BBC Maestro, it just keeps getting better and better. I know, they just keep adding courses all the time. I'm totally spoiled for choice. They've got that um, Professor Tim Spector now. He has got 20 video lessons about the science of eating well. And I tell you what, after what I've eaten and drunk this Christmas, it is just what I need. Actually, I really fancy that as well. But I'm still enjoying learning all about wine from Jancis Robinson. I now know the four things to look for on the label before buying, rather than just the picture. It's so much better than a New Year's resolution that you know you are just not going to keep. You find something that you're really interested in and you really enjoy and you learn from the best in the business. You could write an awful by the end of the year. Lee Child has a course on writing popular fiction and he should know. He's sold more than 200 million of the Jack Reacher series. 
Oh, well, let's walk before we can run, shall we? Uh, go to bbcmaestro.com and use the code K, that's K-A-Y-E, to get your 40% off your favourite video course or 40% off a subscription, which gives you access to every single BBC Maestro course. Let the greatest be your teacher with BBC Maestro. Food for thought there. You know, you said something, Kay, uh, when you and Karen were discussing how you felt about being a nurse and, and then Karen said, how would you be as a carer? It is absolutely essential that we have honest conversations about how it feels to be a carer because there is so much guilt associated for a carer. Of course, you're putting all your energies and your care and your love into the person that you are caring for. But that doesn't mean to say that you are not going through something which is most likely going to be one of the most demanding, challenging things that you will ever go through in your life, caring for a loved one. And people are ashamed to say that they find it hard or they resent it. I can remember, you know, sitting at times when, when it was getting really bad, you know, those last couple of years when Barbara was at home and we'd sit here and... I can remember wanting to scream and I was screaming inside my head, for fuck's sake, let this stop, please. This is the most horrible situation ever. I wanted to run out that door sometimes and never stop running. But there's no way I would have done that because I cared and loved for this lady so much and it was none of her fault what was happening. If we're talking about dementia and Alzheimer's, when your loved one asks you for the 10th or 12th time that night, the same question, and your eyes widen a little bit because you're starting to get a bit tired and irritable. And what you really want to say is, I've just answered that. What you have to remember is it's the first time in their mind that they're asking that question. And Bar used to say to me, she used to see it in my eyes. So what I used to do is I always used to try and smile before I said anything in those situations where it was getting very, very repetitive. Each time she said it, I'd smile at her. And then every now and then she'd see something in my eyes and being bar, she'd say, oh, I can see I'm pissing you off then. I'd go, no, sweetheart. I said, you're not. I'd, I'd say, you know, this memory thing, this memory problem, which was always a, you know, a difficult thing for me to talk about to Barbara. Barbara was someone who at first did not upset, did not want to accept it. The first four years of her diagnosis, we kept secret. So that conversation was always difficult. But what I'd say to her is, you asked me that question quite a few times. I'm a little bit tired today. I said, no, I'm so sorry, sweetheart, if, if I looked a bit irritable. Maybe I was. I said, it's not you. I said, honestly. And then what you do afterwards, you beat yourself up. I speak to so many carers now who say they will punish themselves afterwards and say, who am I? How could I have even let them have a smidgen of an idea that I was getting irritable with them? Well, the fact is this, I'm afraid everyone, we're human and we all have our own little breaking points. We all have our own capacity to take on so much emotion and withhold so much stress and what we're trying to deal with. And there will be days when you don't get it right. That's something I had to learn to accept in the, in the case of, uh, I never knew anything about Alzheimer's before Barbara had it. I knew that people get a bit forgetful. I had no idea of how the symptoms would affect her with mobility, being able to do the simplest things, calling me up one day because she couldn't, 
she didn't know how to pick an outfit out. The first time she ever looked at me genuinely confused and said, who are you? It was the day, that was the day I dreaded, I guess, from diagnosis. And it was as hard and painful and I still remember it to this day and it still turns my stomach. But you have to deal with all this. And for most of us who aren't natural carers, we have to learn. What is a natural carer, though, Scott? What, I mean, that I mean, I say I don't think I'm a natural carer, and I, and I don't like myself for that. Are you a natural carer? Is it, I mean, it didn't come naturally to me. I've never had children, so I've never know, I've never known what it is to care for someone in that respect, where I am responsible for that person's well-being. Of course, I've always been a, a compassionate person, but never put to the test. Mm -hmm where suddenly I was devoting my every minute, my every waking second to worrying about someone else. And what it does is it takes over your life as a carer. Your whole life changes. So I was petrified when I could see I was losing Barbara. That's stage by stage. In my head, I think when she said something, I could see her getting further away in my head. I was... I was saying, please don't leave me, Barbara, please. And you start saying these things to yourself, like, you're such an intelligent lady. You're so full of life. You're so vibrant. Please don't let this horrible disease take you away like this. And the thing about it is you're powerless. And I think that's what I always say about the fact that I took on doing a lot of campaigning, um, especially once Barbara passed was the thing that I always said to myself was I used to talk to the disease in my head when I was in the room with her. And when she was going through, you know, a terrible episode or she'd totally not know where she was, who she was, who I was, and I'd just hold her hand and I'd quietly try and talk her back a little bit and keep saying my name, what our relationship was. In my head, I'd say to the dementia, one day I'm going to try and fight you back because at the moment, there's nothing I can do. And that's what spurs me on. That's why I'm still an ambassador for Alzheimer's Research UK. We've got to think about future generations. Please, God, one day they will come up with a treatment that will massively slow down the symptoms, that no one will have to go through the things that myself and so many millions of other people have to go through with their families. That's such an interesting thing to separate the condition from the, the person, you know, make that sort of break between them. Because as you said earlier, Scott, sometimes you get, why can't you remember what, you know, that, that frustration that builds up. And I'm thinking for you also, because there was a significant age difference between you and Barbara, presumably you were sort of what, late 40s when this all began? I mean, it was 2000 and I'd say 2011 onwards that first saw little glimpses of it 2010 2011 she wasn't diagnosed till 2014 it was six years before barbara passed away which, which you know in some sense it can be common but it's also quite it can be quite fast other people can live for many many years afterwards if i could have learned anything at the time of diagnosis i think it would have been to try and stay in the moment and enjoy the times that we did have ahead. Because when we were in that room and that diagnosis, we I think we both went into shock. Uh, I went back and saw the neurologist a few days later and I just walked in his office and I just sat down and wept. And he said, um, "What what is it that has made you feel like this straight away? And I said, because I don't want her to ever forget me 
I don't want her to ever forget who she was and how much she gave to people with enjoyment of what she achieved in her own life. He said, Scott, that may not be for many, many years. And I think that was such a good bit of advice. I wish I would have found it sooner, but I didn't. You know, I, I stayed in that for quite a while in the early parts. So all I could think of was what lies ahead. And the fact is you will still have lots of time and funny times together and there will be good quality of life for a lot of people in those earlier years. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because we get caught between this situation where we say, oh, we don't like to use the word suffering, people suffering with dementia or Alzheimer's. I'm a little bit caught with that one. I do feel in the earlier days, you can live a good life. And I know people, I've seen and witnessed people who also in the latter stages will still somehow lead a fairly good life. You know, everyone handles it different. I always say no two people are the same when it comes to Alzheimer's and dementia. Whatever I say may be completely different to anyone listening to this. And they say, well, I don't know what he's talking about. But the reality for me was there were times when I could see suffering. She was suffering. I was suffering watching her. And also, if we continue just to say, yeah, you can live well with this. No one's going to do a damn thing about it. And it has been swept under the carpet for so long. Oh, it's a social problem. No. It's Alzheimer's disease. There's yeah. not the help that we need. We're behind in treatment. I must say over the last few years, there have been some really significant um, advances as far as treatments are concerned. I will say as far as funding is concerned and, and how they're, they're looking at it, still nowhere near enough. These are major killers that are affecting more and more people. We mustn't not talk about this. And even if some people look at me and think, oh, Jesus, he's not still banging on about that, is it? His wife died three years ago. Yeah, I will bang on about it because I can still remember going through it. When you got the diagnosis and you came away from, from the doctor surgery, did you at a point sit down, you and Barbara, and look at each other and think, right, what now? I've said this a lot about her initial reaction was she, when he said it's Alzheimer's in the room, she just reached her hand over to me. And she, she had tears in her eyes and she said, I'm so sorry, darling. And I just looked, I said, don't ever be sorry. We, I remember we went home, we, we, we had a car with us. Uh, we were both silent in the back of the car. And I can remember getting home and we, we kind of briefly said, well, okay, we'll, we'll see what happens. He said he doesn't need to see you for a few months. It can't be that serious. But I know when we did start to talk about it, Bar would get quite defensive. She'd suddenly say, look, stop making like that's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, and, and for her, that was very unusual because she was such a tough cookie, Barbara. Uh, but this was one thing that I'd say must have really frightened her inside. And he did say to me, uh, the neurologist said to both of us on that first day, make sure Barbara continues to do what she's always done for as long as possible. And that was in her case work. And of course, you know, we still let, she still did work. She went back to EastEnders two years after diagnosis and finished off Peggy and killed Peggy off. I can remember sitting like this little terrier at, at the dining room table with her scripts, hours and hours making it go in. We did, you know, there was an auto cue on set for her by that time. I, I'd asked the executive producer, just in case. 
She didn't use it for the scenes. You can see that in the, in the filming, but she'd glance at it in between takes. She'd refresh her mind, but she had such a determination. I don't think anyone should have to end their days going out of this world in such confusion. So Barbara, in true what sounds like Barbara style, didn't want to, to talk about it. She wanted to carry on. What about you privately, Scott? Did you think my life is going to change? Our relationship is going to change? You know, from husband and wife to care? Or did that happen? I don't know. Yes, yeah, it, it does happen. There's no doubt about it. I mean, look, as, as you've already said, Barbara and I had a 26-year age difference. It's quite a significant age difference. She always used to predict she'd go first. She said, because that's how nature will be. She always said to me, please be upset. Cry your eyes out heartbroken she said i want heartbroken she said but promise me scott after that you must live the best life possible she said because that's what i always did and i think that's left me with a great thing but at the time i wasn't sure how this was going to progress when people weren't aware it was a big pressure because what i had to do with i i used to manage her with her agent and of course we'd have to pick very carefully what she could do now and what she couldn't do we had to restrict live television at the end uh because of course that's where she'd be exposed and yet and yet you get your repetitive nature or she might suddenly start searching for a word but by and large she did absolutely incredibly life did change and of course the relationship changes because it's not an equal as it progresses, it's not an equal husband-wife relationship. It's when one person starts caring after the other, it, it becomes an uneven relationship because, because one is taking more control, um, one is the more responsible one. So it's very hard, you know, to keep up the equality that we had beforehand. I mean, we were together 27 years, uh, which I think sometimes a lot of people don't realise how long Barbara and I were together. Certainly at the beginning, it, it seemed to be uh, a talking point and quite a lot of people took the piss out of us and said it will never last. And I was 26 years younger. I was this unknown actor. Uh, they all thought I was trying to make a name for myself or after her money, which has always made me laugh because, as I've said, at the time we found out she had a million pound debt when I met her, which she didn't know about. And I've, I've always said I was I, I was the shittiest gold digger in England. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, look, at, look who I chose. <laughs> so, yeah, there was a lot more going on with us behind the scenes that, than, than people realised, but they were quick to judge. And, you know, I've not been the same in my life, but far from it. So, uh, you know, you have to allow. So what did bring you together? Because as you said, the most unlikely couple, I think Barbara was three times married. Wasn't she oh, yeah. in her third marriage? I was Barbara's third husband. Uh, it was a bizarre meeting. My mum and Barbara went to dancing school together when they were 11. She then independently knew my dad when she was about 18. Thank God they never dated. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, but this was before mum and dad had even met so they had this mutual friend and, and the years went on they used to pass messages through mutual friends Barbara's life obviously took off in a different way and then I'd been out of drama school uh, for about a year and now mum said oh our old friend Barbara Wins is coming over for dinner tomorrow night she's doing pantomime down here it's a night off why don't you stay and, and I said those are mortal words I'm not being funny but I don't really want to have dinner with you two and Barbara Wins or I'm busy <laughs> uh, which was a very strange, strange reaction. And um, 
you know, mum said, oh, I'm surprised at you. She's so knowledgeable about the business. So you'd find her really interesting. And kind of the rest is history. You know, that that was the most bizarre way that we met. I went and picked her up. She was staying at Victor Spinetta's house in, in Brighton. Wonderful old act. I just, she opened the door and I was there and I said, hello, I'm Rita's son. And we never stopped talking from that day, literally, to the few days before she passed. What? So did you think in that instant, this is this is a romance? No. What I looked at in that instant was, as she opened the door, I just kind of thought, wow, God, <laughs> I, I wouldn't put you down as, you know, a contemporary of my mum and dad. Uh, I, I thought how attractive she was. Barbara was very pretty in real life. She, she, she really was. And she had this very, very, like, young skin and these incredible eyes. And uh, she said, oh, you'll have to come in, love. I'm not ready. Well, the, the biggest old nonsense ever because she was ready. Yes. <laughs> You know, she she always said later it was to get a better look. She was trying to work out how old I was. <laughs> she actually thought I was about 19, although I was 29 at the time. Um, but she thought, well, mind you, you know, when she did find out, so there's half a chance. You know, we stayed in touch. We got on brilliantly that night. Though she asked me down to help her learn her lines a few months later. The rest is history. And listen, what did your mum and dad, what was their reaction when you told them that you were seeing each other? They were really fantastic, actually. I sat down with them one day and I said, listen, I've got something to tell you. And they went, yeah, we know, you and Barbara. And I went, yeah. And they said, are you happy? And I said, I've never felt so happy. And they said, well, that's all we need to know. They were the most incredible, understanding, giving parents. They adored her. She adored them. And it was never an issue. Amazing. But I mean, did you not? I mean, you loved this woman. You clearly, you just clicked. There was such a special bond between you. But you were a 29, 30 year old man, yeah. you know, and, and she would be in her mid to late 50s. And I'm probably showing my own prejudices now here, Scott, and I'm open about it. You never checked yourself and think, really? What am I doing? It does go through your mind. I mean, by the time we got together, Barbara was 56. And in my head, I was thinking, this is madness. However, I couldn't ignore the way I was feeling. She couldn't ignore the way she was feeling. Barbara was at the end of her second marriage. They, they were estranged, living in separate accommodations by then, but that wasn't public. And there was something about us was that we could not not see each other. We had to be together. We just got each other. And the age thing, of course, we accepted from a really early stage that yes, there is a 26-year age gap. What I guess we were doing back then, although I didn't know it, we were living in the moment. I'm not saying it was easy. You know, I went through some really, really tough times. We both did. I mean, I, I had a drink problem and a drug problem, which had to be dealt with. I had to get sober twice. I'll, I won't say that that was because of the relationship, but certainly that first time and everything got out of control. Certainly, there was a hell of amount of pressure on me. When I was a bit younger at that time, I was more, a lot more insecure about myself. Other people's opinions mattered to me. So when I was aware that there was this kind of gossiping and eye rolling and sniggering going on, it did affect me. You know, I'd have to be half cut before I even went out to some event with Barbara just to get through the door. Because you were worried about judgment or aware judgment, of judgment. And if I was, you know, if I was sloshed, it wouldn't hit me. But of course, you have to wake up the next day. I'm pleased to say I've, I've just turned 22 years sober 
and clean, which is something else that is incredibly dear to me that no one can ever take away from me and ever try to. I think that would be the thing that I'd most likely react most aggressively to anyone trying to challenge my sobriety. I think also age is a big thing. One of the great benefits is, yes, I did put so much importance on what other people thought of me. And I can really and truly say that to nearly 100% now, I don't give a monkey's about other people's opinions of me. I, I know who I am. I know the mistakes I've made. I know my flaws and I've learned to just embrace them and be kind to myself. It all sounds really wishy-washy and bollocks, but believe me, I wasted half my life being held back because I was fearful of what other people might say or think of me. And um, I think that's one of the big reliefs about turning 60 for me. There's a lot of stuff that I just have no control over. You know, I have to do the best I can. Doesn't mean so I can't help other people in, in ways or do good things for other people. But, you know, I'm not going to be destroyed by everything else that is going on out there. And I'm not going to let it affect my life to the point where I can no longer enjoy my life. But what, what's brought you to that place, Scott? Is that just age or, you know, would you attribute that to certain experiences? Or I think I've, I've, I've mostly become a lot calmer as, as I've got older. I'll tell you what I really was, was incredibly sensitive highly sensitive oversensitive and and you know and and a lot of the time i looked at that as a weakness so i felt that that made me a weak man when i compared myself to other other guys that would be around me and i said you know why are they strong and brave why is it why am i scared of things uh, but the fact was it was just a part of me there was that side of me which is very natural which we all get scared of things and it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. There are things that frighten us. The world is, can be a bloody frightening place. And we're, and we're also all made up so differently. Yeah. How, how did Barbara cope with age? Because, of course, she was, you know, back in the day, a sex and no two ways about it. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Scott. I grew up watching her in Carry On movies yeah. and she was the cutest button ever. Yes. She, she was the absolute embodiment of sexy woman. Oh, yeah, she? she you know, she was quite good. She kind of laughed it towards the end. I mean, even when I first met her, she, she'd referred to herself as an ageing sex symbol. But, but what she'd say is I wasn't a sex symbol. I wasn't Sophie Loren. I wasn't that kind of sex symbol. She said, I was the girl next door. A lot of the local fellas might have fancied. But she always said it was like Marmite with her. She said that either look at me and go, for, or they wouldn't look at me. But she did well. She did well, as far I think, as far as ageing in the public eye was, was concerned. She was very open about most things. I'd say nearly everything. I always said to her, why are you so honest? And she always said that great thing, which has taught me the most wonderful lesson. She always says, because I'm the one who has to look at myself in the mirror, love. And that was the most wonderful. You know, when she said that to me, I thought, God, yeah, I wish I would have learned that earlier in my life. It is. Oh, I just think I, I never had the pleasure of meeting Barbara. and But I've obviously I know a lot of people who, who know her well. But I'm going back to you, Scott. 
given that you were so much younger and you were an aspiring actor and you had this bright, bubbly, you know, national treasure that you were on the arm of, did you sometimes have to play, shall I say, second fiddle? And, and I mean, I don't know whether your own career had to go in the back burner, but you had to give up the idea of kids. I don't know whether you ever wanted kids. I mean, a lot of things for you to go through. Yeah, the, the, the kids actually wasn't an issue with me. You know, some people just naturally crave to be parents. Uh, it wasn't something that was within me. Uh, so that wasn't an issue. Also, by the time you fall in love with someone uh, in that situation, I mean, you kind of pretty much accept that you're not going to have kids. She was 56. Um, Barbara didn't have children herself. Uh, and that, you know, that's well documented as, as well. As far as the career was concerned, because of, you know, like I was saying, I went into a profession and trained as an actor for three years. And I could have been quite good, but I didn't have the belief in myself. I was so insecure um, that I'd kind of destroyed myself. When I was with Barbara, and, you know, of course, I suddenly became visible, I just totally lost all confidence in myself. And I just kind of crumbled, and acting to me was something that became a very painful experience in the bits of work I did. So I, I gave that up. You know, um, I ended up going into onto the other side of it. So, you know, I, I'm an agent. I look after a, a few actresses, uh, which I prefer, which I like. And for a while I was doing casting, but much preferred being in the background. Yeah. What it took me a long time to realise was this, and it's not about ego or anything like that. When people see someone famous, their initial reaction is to go for that person. Now, they most likely don't mean to be rude about the person standing next to them who they don't recognise, but that doesn't mean to say it doesn't have an effect on, on that partner. Uh, you know, that your self-worth eventually just gets a little bit chipped away with that. You feel a little bit invisible. So, of course, for me, that, that was a good excuse to drink more or, or take drugs to deal with it in that way because then I felt empowered and didn't really matter. But what was happening underneath was was yeah I, I was just really really shrinking into the background i said after when i got sober certainly the second time once we when we got married i had a much better understanding certainly of myself and of the situation and i've always been more than happy to let barbara take the front foot she was the star i wasn't the star i i, I was this this man in her life who she fell in love with there was no reason for the public to embrace me in any way. I, I hadn't done anything spectacular cutting me. People would literally will talk across your face. I've, I've been literally nudged out the way. Um, and Var would always say, as she was talking, she'd always refer to me. And, and she'd say, well, it's like I was saying to my Scott earlier, da, 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 and try and bring me in like, like that. Barbara always had a thing about herself where she felt a burden. I think maybe it was being an only child. She felt a burden to people. She, she blamed herself for her parents' divorce. So whatever happened when I was going through my struggles, etc., she'd kind of turn it on herself a little bit because of my life, because of all what goes with me. You've got to go through with this, and I'm sorry, love. But, you know, no one was holding a gun at my head. Mm -hmm. So how is life without her, Scott? Look, life without Barbara will most likely never be the same. You know, you, you spend, I spent half my adult life, literally, with Barbara. She was an, an amazing lady a very special human being 
Um, I actually went up yesterday to her stone and took some flowers, which I which I do from time to time. I have a little chat to her, fill her in on all the gossip. Uh, I, I do feel that she's always around. I know she'd be happy to know that I'm happy now and, and feeling more settled. I think with grieving, it takes years. It's not something and it's different for everyone. Um, and it hits you at different times. I think with me, suddenly I might turn the TV on and suddenly she'll be there. And it just kind of takes my breath away sometimes because I'm not expecting it. This house still is, is still full of Barbara. This was Barbara's home when I met her. It was our home for 27 years. You know, some people said to me, oh, you should move. I said, well, why? They said, because of the memories. I said, well, apart from the last few years, they're wonderful memories. And, you know, when people were taking the mickey out of us, we'd sit here covered up on the settee saying, well, Sodom, who, who cares? Who cares what they think? There's always going to be a place for Barbara in my heart. Of course there is. You know, I, I am in a new relationship. Uh, I, I got into a new relationship last year. I'm very happy. It, it, uh, you know, she's a wonderful lady that I'm with, who knew Barbara, and um, very understanding. It can't be easy to be with someone who was the other half of Barbara Windsor, um, especially the fact that I still do things with the charity and put myself out there and talk about her. So it, it says to me the type of person Tanya is, my partner, that she can deal with that. You know, she's very sure of herself as, as a person. Just because you're not with someone for whatever reason, it doesn't mean to say that you just switch off some valve of love that goes away. I, I think the work we've done Getting back to the uh, Alzheimer's stuff is really important for her legacy. We now have the Dame Barbara Windsor Dementia Mission, which is government funded, which is something that I took with the charity to the government, which they actually listen to and have set up. We've doubled the money for research. I always say her legacy is going to be a lot more than her bra flying off and carry on camping. <laughs> Although, what a legacy that was. <laughs> oh, what a legacy, what a legacy. For other people out there listening who have lost a long-term partner or perhaps their relationship has, has split up for other reasons and they're around about this age, it's a big deal to get into a new relationship. What would you say then, not necessarily advice, but, you know, any kind of words of wisdom? Uh, because it must be difficult. Yes, it, of course it is. There was never going to be a right time. Like Barbara was someone in the public eye, which makes me someone who's visible because of that association. But even for people who had nothing to do with being in the public eye, you're always going to have someone who will have something to say. Now, whether you wait a couple of years, whether you wait five years, there's always going to be someone to say, oh, it didn't take them long. I think we all have to be very careful when we make judgments on other people, especially when it comes to losing someone or the breakup of a relationship. It's different for everyone. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I started losing Barbara many years ago. I've been grieving her since that day of diagnosis. You know, it's like eight years of grieving. How long can I grieve for? I know she wanted me to be happy. I know I deserve to be happy. Doesn't take away anything that we shared. All of our lives go by very quickly. And we can be held back by maybe worrying about what others might say. You've just got to live your life. So I would just say to people, go with your heart. And if you meet someone who you become close to, who, who 
you feel something for that makes you feel happy and good within yourself and that's how you feel about them who are you harming Karen if I could just bring you back to something that you said at the very beginning of the show I don't dye my hair <laughs> you weren't going to go off with that I was going to come back to that Oh, that's so funny you said that, because I was going to say, before we finish, can you give Karen your hairdresser? But there you go. Listen, one wee thing before we go, we have this thing we call Big Six O Bingo. So I'm handing over to Karen here. So looking for two numbers between 1 and 60. 33. 33, right, stand by. 7. Did 60 feel different? Yes, it did. It, it, it felt very different. I don't know if it's just the image of the number 6 in front of my age that's done it. I think because when 50 happened, I thought, okay, halfway, but that's still, there's still kind of youth uh, attached to that. And I think with 60, what I've done is I keep talking about lately to my friends. I've only been 60 a few months. Say, listen, say now, I, I was 60 on the 28th of April last year. Five days before that, I ran my third marathon in four years. And well. I kind of did say at the time that's going to be the last one because I didn't even start till I was 56 and I've never been a runner. But now, you know, I, I kind of keep having this thing in my head like, oh, that means I actually can't because my next milestone is 70. Talk about keeping it in the day. I'm already looking at seven, the number seven. <laughs> that's what the number six has done to me. <laughs> but Gosh. I've got to go back to that living in the day, you know. I was just going to say, live in the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I certainly, look, I certainly don't feel it in my head. I, I still feel incredibly immature. I think that keeps you young, just having a young spirit. Okay. Did you say number seven? Yeah. Yeah. Best year of your life? I would have said, I will say it was when I was 30 when Barbara and I got together. And for so many different reasons, because it did change my whole life. There's no doubt about it whether it meant I was going to have to look at myself properly and see who I was and where I stood in the world and whether that was a fairly kind of painful process where I went through many different things, you know, whether it be the addiction, whether it be depression, whether it be whatever else, that was a very important part. Learning about loving someone unconditionally, I'd say it was the start of that and whatever was coming against us, putting that at the forefront but it it was a mixture it was the best it was the most frightening it, it, it was the most bewildering in many ways um yeah there was so much happening that that my life changed in such a major way mm. scott thank you it's honestly you're a lovely lovely man i've just got to say that uh, it's been so nice to speak to you it really has it, it's been great i'm so glad you agreed to do it it's been a pleasure thanks Kate. thanks karen Coming up on How To Be 60, we are joined by the first trans woman to grace the cover of the WI magazine. Petra Wenham transitioned at the age of 68, and she'll be sharing her story next week. Mm -hmm.